Would you open God's precious holy word to Luke chapter 15? If God will help us, we will go through these first 10 verses. But it rests upon the last verse of the 14th chapter, the, the verse previous to this verse 1. That verse, the last part of that verse, Christ says, the one who has hearing ears or ears to hear, let him hear. By the sovereign grace and in the sovereign will of God, something that I will never in this life completely understand, there are those who have an ear to hear and so many more who will not. It's always been that way. Of course, it's that way here at this place in this setting where Jesus is with these Pharisees and, and scribes and the others. The Pharisees in their culture in this day recognized two classes of people, the Haborim. The Haborim were the religious elite, those who were in leadership positions or those who agreed to follow them and wanted to be like them. They looked down on everybody else, which was included in the group called Haaretz, the people of the land or the people of the earth, earthen people, lower than the Haborim. That prevailing mindset is seen so clearly in what we've already studied and certainly what we will begin to study today in Luke chapter 15. I want to bring you a message from that text, that passage that I call the joy of God. We don't think about this very much, maybe. But there are things that make God laugh, that make Him happy, that He enjoys. We'll talk about that in this passage of Scripture. There are those those special attributes of God that can never be ours, omniscience, omnipresence. But there are those other attributes that are akin to the things in life, emotions in life that, that we can understand. And one of them is overwhelming joy. To be consumed and permeated with happiness. God, of course, enjoys that emotion in a perf perfected sense. He's God. So we're going to think about that as we study what we're going to look at here. So let's look at it beginning in verse 1. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were drawing near to him to hear him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling, saying, this man receives and eats with sinners. 
The Haborim were critical of Jesus because he receives and eats with Haaretz, the baser sort of society. Pharisees and scribes would never find themselves mixing with such people. Just in their mindset, according to their religion that they had developed themselves, just to come in contact with such people would defile them. So they took great care to avoid them. Jesus, however, did not. These tax collectors and Sinners were the ones in this vast multitude of people who had ears to hear. They recognized their state, their fallen state, their sinful state. The religion of the Pharisees had already disbarred those people from ever thinking they could enjoy the salvation of God. They were otherwise hopeless, except for Jesus. So the whole thing here in this chapter is predicated on the fact that Jesus receives sinners. When we think about that, we look at the rest of this, we'll see that there are three parables here. We're going to look at two of them today. And they all have to do with something that is lost and then found. As a preface, I would say to us and to every church believing the Bible, this is foundational for who we are as a church, to follow the teaching and to be obedient to it that we're going to see here in this chapter. All right, so then here is Jesus being criticized for receiving and eating with sinners. Then he spoke to them this parable saying, what man of you having a hundred sheep and having lost one of them leaves not the ninety and nine in the open field and goes after the one having been lost until he finds it. Wrong button. There we go. And having found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And having come to the house, he calls together the friends and the neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep the one that was lost. I say to you that in the same way, there will be joy in heaven over one sinner repenting rather than over 99 righteous ones who have no need of repentance. I'm going to start with this last phrase first, and then I'm going to back up and go through this again. And apply it to what it really means to you and me today and to those people back then. God has no joy 
over self-righteous people. People who are too good to be saved. Now the world is full of people like that. People who are too good to be saved. That would have been the Pharisees and the scribes here. Here is what God in the flesh is saying to these people. Speaking in the presence of those with whom he had been eating, whom he had received, the tax collectors, the sinners, those who had an ear to hear, while the rest of them were turning against him and grumbling against him and criticizing him and so forth. These were finding delight, warmth, comfort, and love in what Jesus was saying and teaching. But not the Pharisees. They were already righteous. Here's what he says. You don't have any need for repentance. God has no need of you. There's no joy over who you are. There's nothing in heaven for who you are. But there is joy in heaven over one sinner repenting. Now let me back up. First of all, something was lost in this case. It was a sheep. Now a shepherd was one of those Haaretz. He was one of the baser people. They didn't want anything. A shepherd to the, to the Pharisees and really to most of the society of that day was, a, was the lowest of the low on the labor skill set. They, he, was, he, he smelled like a sheep. He wandered with them and, and, and tended to them and nobody wanted to do that. But there were shepherds who couldn't do anything else. But they had their own skill set. So here was a shepherd despised by the Pharisees and those like him. Now we all know here, Jesus is the shepherd. He even says so in John's gospel, I am the good shepherd. My sheep know me, hear my voice and follow me. And I know them. So here we know that Jesus is the shepherd. And we know that a shepherd places premium importance on one lost sheep. Now this, in this case, it would, have been a, it would have been all of the sheep of a humble village. If you can think of a dirt road, side road, back road, and there's a little village of people, and they're humble and they, they eke out a living the best way they can, and they have a flock of sheep. And they have a designated shepherd who's going to take care of the sheep because this many sheep would have been more than most people would have owned. So this would have been a gathering of, of village sheep. This, this one shepherd would take them out and go from field to field to make sure that they were grazing properly and being fed. But, it, but he was responsible for every one of them. And everybody knew this. Even if one of the sheep was to die in his care for whatever reason. He had to bring the dead one back with the others so that there would be an accounting. He was responsible all the way for these sheep. If something fell off a cliff, he had to go down there and get it, bring it back up and carry it back because even though it might have been dead, he was responsible for the whole group. So here's a, 
Here is a shepherd who is caring for a hundred sheep and one of them doesn't show up. Now, sheep are stupid. They're defenseless. They, they can begin to wander over anything at all. Something smells good, they want to go smell it and eat it. They may have curiosity about something, they wander over here. And before anybody can think about it, but the, the sheep doesn't even have the, the qualities of, of that kind of thought, discernment, and judgment. He's in a mess because he doesn't know where he is and doesn't know where he came from. He's defenseless. Anything can kill him. Even water, rushing water, can get into his wool and soak him up so that he collapses and will drown in, the, in a little... That's why the shepherd leads them beside still waters. They have this... this, this uh, Danger in rushing and, and, and deep water. So then here is a, here is a lost sheep. Don't know, what, don't know what happened to it. But it's the responsibility of that shepherd. It's his. And it's his responsibility. He's going to leave the 99 in an open field. And then secondly, he's going to go out and find it. He goes after the one lost until he finds it. He won't stop until he finds it. Wherever it is, he's going to find it. It's his responsibility. It belongs to him. The fact that it was stupid and dumb and wandering and, and too curious for its own good, I read where the trait of a sheep is that when he gets so separated from its flock and its shepherd, it becomes so disparaged and distressed and depressed, not knowing what to do, it'll just lay down. It'll lay there and then it'll be dehydrated and then it'll die. It'll just lay there and die. Now you see where this is going. Those of the redeemed have to understand that at least we had the ear to hear and we're seated in the company of Christ who as the shepherd is otherwise despised by the rest of the world. Doesn't the world today especially, more than I've ever seen in my life, despise Christianity? Aren't those who are his sheep despised as well? No, none, of these, none of these religious elite, none of these elitists wanted anything to do with anything where something had to be sought after until it was found and brought back. So here, it is the shepherd's responsibility. It is not the responsibility, listen to this. It is not the responsibility of the lost sheep to stumble around and try to work his way back to the shepherd. No. It is the shepherd's responsibility to do whatever he has to do and go and get that which belongs to him. Now you and I, if you've been redeemed, if you're a believer, if you're saved, we have to take the place of this lost sheep. Defenseless, unknowing, surrounded by predators, in a very unfriendly world, not knowing what to do, unable, unable to do anything, can't do a thing for ourselves. A sheep is defenseless. They don't fight. They just die. This is who we are 
if we don't have a shepherd. We are, we are at the mercy of everything that is in the world. Now here are these elitists. Here they are. They don't want to touch us. They don't want to have anything to do with the shepherd. They don't want to have anything to do with the sheep. Both are beneath their dignity. Yet Christ, somewhat sarcastically perhaps, but making a point, says, what man of you having sheep? In other words, he was saying, what if you were a shepherd? And you had, well, that was an insult to them, you see. They're above that. So now this shepherd leaves the 99 and goes after the one until he finds it. You see, the success rate of the shepherd is 100%. I'm saved not because I found him, but because he found me. I was in a hopeless, helpless, defenseless position, and the only thing that I was good for was just laying down and dying. That's all I was good for. But I belong to the shepherd. From before the foundation of the world, I belong to the shepherd. The time comes where he will do whatever he has to do to find me, to find you in Christ. So then... Goes after him until he finds him. Then he found it. This would have been the time, according to the story, where the, where the, where the sheep would be laying down. It'd be nighttime coming. Now, you know, they didn't have streetlights out in the wilderness, in the desert. Maybe there was a moon, maybe there wasn't, I don't know. Christ doesn't embellish any further than what he says. Nighttime. Finds, in the most difficult circumstances, finds the lost sheep. Then does everything himself. The thing didn't even have to walk back to the fold. The shepherd laid the sheep on his shoulders rejoicing. Didn't matter, listen, I'm the sheep, he's the, didn't matter how stupid I was, didn't matter how disobedient I had gotten, floating out here and going over there and following my nose and doing this and not even thinking about the mess that I was in until I found myself absolutely hopeless and helpless with nothing to do, just laid there. Didn't even have the forethought or the knowledge within myself or the skill or the ability within myself to find my way back to where the shepherd was. He found me. Then he brought me back. He didn't even put a leash around my neck. He put me on his shoulders. And rejoiced. Not over. It didn't make him mad how lost and how awful I was. Doing a dumb thing that I had done. He rejoiced. Because he found that which was his. 
his sheep. Then he brings it back. He rescues it and restores it. Having come to the house, he calls together the friends and neighbors and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my sheep. The one that was lost. Then he makes this incredible statement. In this same way, there's joy in heaven over one center, sinner repenting. Now, you're going to see at the end of the next, just to give a spoiler, the one who rejoices is God. Because the rejoicing is in heaven and is in the presence of the angels. It doesn't say the angels are rejoicing. The Bible says the joy is in the presence of the angels. We'll see that. So God celebrates the one doesn't count off points, doesn't say you're not going to have supper tomorrow night because you got out there and wandered. It doesn't say that. Doesn't give me any kind of penalty or punishment. Just rejoices that I was his and I'm down here in an awful world, a wilderness where enemies are trying to destroy me and where things are enticing me away and all this. Doesn't hold anything against me. Finds me, puts me on his shoulders, and takes me to where I'm supposed to be. Rescues me, and then celebrates my rescue. It's all of God, you see. Now, there are those in the world who are too good to be saved. Like these Pharisees. Like these scribes. Too good to be saved. If you do not rejoice over sinners repenting, you're out of touch with God. This story and the next one gives us a sort of indictment as the people of God. Remember the Great Commission as you are going. Disciple the whole world, whoever they are. Doesn't matter who they are. Here's what we're about we are about looking for those who have ears to hear. Christ, we saw at the beginning of chapter two back, these, these crowd, this crowd, by the Greek text, we're taught that it numbered over 10,000. 10,000 in an ancient day like that. But just these had an ear to hear. The voice of Christ, the teaching of Christ was in the hearing of all these people and yet just these had the ears to hear. So we're in the world looking for the whosoever will. God takes care of the will. But it's our responsibility to discharge the proclamation of the gospel, wherever we are. I'm going to make a challenge that we all begin to get. You see, here's the mindset that every church should have. Every church and every Christian should have the mindset of kingdom citizenship. 
Our first, our primary concern is that everybody who will listen, we have something to tell you. Only the church can deliver this message. The rest of the world, they don't believe it. Even if they read it out of the Bible, it has no spirit to it, so it doesn't mean anything. But we have this great responsibility. We all don't have the same kinds of talents or boldness or whatever, but we can all carry a tract. We can all carry a card. We can leave it on the table wherever we go or, or with friends and family, whatever. But we have this responsibility, you see, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That sinners need to repent and be saved. If one does not connect himself with sin, well, he can't be saved. Only sinners are saved. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, the apostle said. And he said, I'm the worst one of all. We're saved. Those of us who are here, we're saved. We're saved because we came to this point of recognizing the fact that we're worthless. We're defenseless. We have no hope. Unless Christ brings us from where we are to where He is. Unless Christ puts us on His shoulders and carries us home. We have no hope at all. This is the... As we go along, I've never seen society like it is today in our own country. But they'll, you proclaim the gospel, they'll spit at you. They'll, they'll take pictures of you and put something ugly on Facebook. All kinds of... But so what? We have a responsibility. One way you could witness to people and see how long it takes to get it taken down is to proclaim Christ to all who are on your Facebook friends. Proclaim the saving grace of God in Christ. We're not to be deterred by the possibility that they might go to a, another church or whatever. First order of business is to find those who have ears to hear. God works out all the other details. That's, that's the theology of the Bible. In the book of the Revelation, Christ and those seven churches represent the time of the church, age of the church. From Ephesus to Laodicea and all in between. In the beginning of the Revelation, Jesus Christ is seen in the room where those seven lampstands are. And Christ is seen walking around examining those lampstands, those churches. He finds one that is, that is so distorted and weak and not working correctly, he threatens to take the lampstand away. That room is the world, you see, and those lampstands are the church, the churches. And we're shining bright the light so that people can come out of the darkness and into the light. This is what we do. A great priority, first of all. Look, I have a lot of theological persuasions <laughs> that I know are right. <laughs> and we can meet out back and fight over it. I don't care. But that's not the main thing. 
The main thing to begin with is to start with the basis of a sinner who needs to repent and be saved. None of us can find ourselves back to the house. Christ has to come get us and put us on his shoulders and bear the burden himself. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. Christ is our Sabbath. Rest in Christ. He'll do it all. I trust him for that. People say that's too easy. That's not easy. It's nothing. That, that salvation is too cheap. No, it ain't. It's free. It's free. Who will hear? Now somebody gets saved and he gets unruly. You let God be the father. He'll take care of unruly children. Just trust God in Christ. Come to Christ. First basic message Oh God, put us in the path of those who have ears to hear and let them come. We know that Christ will pick them up. We don't add any burden to them. We don't say you have to do A, B, and C. You don't have to fill out a questionnaire. You don't have to do anything. You just come to Christ and be saved. Then it becomes a responsibility to disciple these people and to teach them. To teach them the teachings of Scripture. The doctrine of the apostles. God in heaven has no joy over people who are too good to be saved. But rejoices over one sinner who repents. You know, I'm going to stop there. We'll talk about this old woman next time. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes, okay? There may be people here today who need to come to Christ. You just come to Christ. You don't come to a preacher. You don't come to him. You come to Jesus. Jesus will put you on his shoulders and carry you where you need to be. Just trust him. Just have faith. Simple faith. God's people, after we're saved, we get so concerned about so many things in church and out of church. Just trust Jesus. Just trust him. Have faith in him. The Holy Spirit is in you. The Holy Spirit will teach you. The Holy Spirit will guide you. The Holy Spirit will correct you. If you come to Christ, in just a moment we'll stand and sing our song of invitation. If you're here today without Christ, you know it. And if God is calling you to Christ, you'll know that too. You're invited today to Step out during this invitation and take me by the hand. Let me pray with you. And let all of us rejoice. The Great Commission is not just to disciple, but I would submit that it also includes participating in the joy of heaven.
Let's do something that makes God laugh. Maybe you're here, you're already a Christian, already a believer, but you need to follow the Lord in baptism. You come. Maybe you're here and you're already a Christian. And you've been baptized by believer's baptism and you know in your heart that you need to be a part of a Bible-believing church and God has laid it on your heart to come and be a part of who we are. You come. The invitation is open for you today. Father God in heaven, bless this invitation in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and sing? Come as the Lord may call.